The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Well, good morning. I don't know about you, but I was terribly excited that our small groups were beginning this morning at 8.15 and 11 o'clock. Isn't it good? I was just thinking about that, and I, you, I don't care how you slice it or dice it. God intended us to have a relationship with Him and us to have a relationship with each other. And there is no substitute for gathering together in small groups where we encourage one another through the Word, we pray for one another, we love on each other, and there's no substitute for being able to come together and worship Him as a whole church body corporately. Can you just thank the Lord that uh, we have that opportunity to do that? A couple of things I want to make you aware of this morning before uh, we begin looking at a new series that we're starting today is this. If you have not yet signed up for either a, the women's study, uh, the men's study, uh, middle schoolers, students uh, together with the men and the women high school and the middle schoolers for your groups, please go online on our website and register for one of those. Uh, really neat thing to happen this week. Men, uh, we know some of you are not comfortable yet coming back into that setting. And so we've had someone that has stepped forward and said, listen, I'll be willing to volunteer to do a Zoom uh, Better Man. Uh, they'll start the following Wednesday. So if you want to join in uh, via Zoom and be a part of that Better Man series, please go on and register or mark it on your Connect card today so that you can be a part of that. We're looking forward to God doing some things in that. As I said, we're beginning a new series today. And this series is going to take us a long time, a couple of years actually. Uh, but we are beginning today with the beginning of all things. And the reason behind this, as I explained about a month ago, is that we, we have a strong commitment here and a burden to see parents be the primary disciplers of their children. Can anybody say amen to that? And our role as the church is to come alongside of parents as you disciple your children and your grandchildren. And so Miss Vicki and I began early in COVID, beginning to look at how we can do this. And we have determined to use in collaboration with the kids using what we're, what's called cross-form kids so that on Sunday morning, your kids, in just a minute, K through four are going to dismiss to go with Miss Vicky. This is kind of a new format that we've had to do in order to facilitate that. Your children are going to be hearing the same message in a different form than what you're hearing here in the sanctuary. Now here, you want to know the great thing about that? is that when you're sitting around the dinner table, your kids are going to hear this morning that God made them, that God created them, and He created them for a purpose. You know what you can do at the dinner table? How many of you still have family dinner? Hmm. <laughs> you can ask your kid, who made you? And their answer should be what? God made me. And so we're trying to give tools to you as parents and grandparents that throughout the week, as the scriptures say, as you go, you can disciple your children, teaching them the things that they need to know. Along with that, there's a family devotional guide that applies to, to all families, kids up through 12th grade that Miss Vicki prepares every week. And you can get that from our website. It's a little bit deeper than the cross-form kids, um, but it's a good conversation starter around the table. You know, all when I, I, I'm taking, this is free. I, I came up through the years of focus on the family and thank God for focus on the family, right? 
Amen? But, but it just didn't seem to give me the tools as a parent to, to disciple my kids in a very natural, ongoing way. We, like most families, did the family devotions. At times we tried different things, and five minutes into the Scripture reading, the kids were both asleep or they were scrambling around the room. Well, this is a tool that makes it so applicable to your kids and your family. So parents, grandparents, let me ask you right now, will you make a commitment to be in intentional about discipling your children and your grandchildren. If you'll make that declaration today, let me hear a big amen. amen. We have, as a church, purchased 50 subscriptions to Crossform Kids and paid for that. And right now, I think there have been about 16 that have taken advantage to that subscription that gives you additional helps with your, with your K through 4 primarily kids. And so we want to give those to you so that you'll use them. If that's you and you have not gotten that yet, please mark it on your Connect card or send an email to Miss Vicki so that she will uh, get you signed up for that subscription. Well, at this moment, what we want you to do is as parents, grandparents, any K through 4 kids that K through fourth grade kids that happen to be in the sanctuary right now. We want to pray over them, and Miss Vicki's going to be right over here at this door, I think, and she's going to take our kids back uh, to have their lesson. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, God, uh, for blessing this church body with the multi-generational body. God, we see as, as parents and as grandparents that, God, it is our responsibility, and God, I believe that you're going to hold us accountable to how well, how intentional we disciple our children. And so, Father, we want to pray your blessings on our kids right now as, as they're going to be making their way in their time with Miss Vicki. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you. Lord, we don't, and I pray that we never take for granted the idea of coming together and corporately magnifying your name together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you can take your Bibles and go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 1, where we'll be uh, going through that chapter today. I want to pull out some things for you, but let me, let me first ask this question. If you can turn on your imaginations for just a moment, can you picture Disney World? How many of you have a picture of Disney World in your mind? Along with that, picture your bank account and see how it has drained all the... No, just kidding. You picture Disney World. You wouldn't be able to picture Disney World had it not been for a man named Walt Disney. We wouldn't know how big Cinderella's castle is had it not been for Walt Disney. We wouldn't know how happy Mickey Mouse was if it weren't for Walt Disney. We wouldn't know how crazy... Yeah, pretty good. If it weren't for Walt Disney. Without Walt Disney, the image in your mind of Disney World would be miles and miles and miles of unusable swamp. You see, Disney World and all of its characters were formulated and created in the mind of Walt Disney. And they came to fruition, and, and in the same way, all that we know of creation, all that we know of the world and the universes around us and our life as human beings being created in the image of God 
Without God, none of that would be, and it's hard to imagine, isn't it? We just can't fathom it or think it. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the the key verse, I think, to all of this chapter is that Moses declares, in the beginning, God. Now, we have the account of creation and the order of creation in Genesis chapter 1. But if we miss the first sentence, in the beginning, that is the beginning of creation, God, meaning that, that God existed before creation, but in the beginning was God, and God created. God is never proven, if you will, or the authors and writers of Scripture never set out to prove the existence of God. It's just assumed that God was and God is. And in that writing of the Scripture, while it doesn't set out to prove the existence of God, it makes statements that show us that through what we see and what we know, we know intuitively that there is a God. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes that God has placed eternity in the hearts of man, knowing that there is life beyond this life and there's an eternal purpose for life. Paul, when he writes in the book of Romans, speaking of the creation as as God has demonstrated it to us here in chapter 1 of Genesis, he writes this in Romans chapter 1. Verses 19 to 20, Romans chapter 1, verses 19 to 20, he says this. For what can be known about God is plain to them. That is, those who, he's writing in context, those who try to suppress the truth of God. He says, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. And what Paul is saying is all one has to do is pause and look at creation. All one has to do is pause and look at the intricacy and the minute details of the makeup and the order that there is in all of creation, and they cannot help but recognize and see that there is a starter of that, there's a creator of that, and it began with something and someone, and that is God. Man is without excuse. The other way that the Bible describes to us that God has revealed himself to us and made it clear is in that same book, beginning in verse 14, when Paul says this, for what, uh, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse them or even excuse them. And what he's saying there is that the moral law of God, the standard of God's holiness as we sing about that this morning, is in the heart of every single created being. We know we have a conscience. I was reading an article this morning in a state prison somewhere where an inmate who had been... 
accused and and convicted of molesting and murdering a 10-year-old girl. The other inmates tattooed her name on his forehead, and her name following her name was revenge. Even in our federal prisons on death row, there is a code of morality, and every human being knows that there is a holy God, and he has revealed himself to us through his creation. And so we're without excuse. And as we begin to read in Genesis chapter 1, unfortunately, uh, many times we take Genesis chapter 1 and we try to construe that that the whole purpose of Genesis chapter 1 is to prove a literal six-day, 24-hour creation. But that is not the purpose of Genesis chapter 1. Do I hold to a literal six-day, 24-hour creation? Absolutely, I hold to it. Why? Because God has declared it to be. The purpose of Genesis chapter 1, the big idea even before all of creation, is that in the beginning, God, the purpose of Genesis chapter 1 is God, Elohim, used over 35 times in the account of creation in just 34 verses. We find the name that's used for God here, Elohim, the title that's used for God, which means strength and majesty. We find his name recorded this number of times. So what's the purpose of Genesis chapter 1? The others, they're there for purpose. However, the purpose of Genesis chapter 1 is to say that there is a God who created all that we see and all all that we know, he is sovereign, he's ruler, he's king of kings, and he's Lord of lords. That's the declaration. Let me read for you through verse 25. If you have your Bibles, please read along with me. I, I don't think it would be doing a favor to Scripture if we didn't read this whole chapter. Listen what he begins in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. He says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over all the face of the waters. And God said, as I go along in this, take your pen and circle every time the word God is used. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was everything, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the day, the land earth, and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their kind, their seed, each one according to its kind on the earth. And it was so, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which their seeds, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. 
And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God said, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And let me pause here for just a moment, beginning in verse 17. Every time we see the word God, I'm not going to say it, but I want you to state it. Are you in your Bibles with me? Okay, this is to get you interactive in this. Verse 17, and set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness, and saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day, and said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So created the great sea creatures and every living thing that moves, that which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. Now, you're losing steam, okay? You got to shout it out. Verse, uh, the last part of that, and saw that it was good, and Bless them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters of the sea, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day, and said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so, and made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps from the ground according to its kind and saw that it was good, then said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish in the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So created man in his own image, in the image of he created him, male and female, he created them, and blessed them, and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth, and said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food and it was so and saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. What's Genesis chapter 1 about? God. And His authority, His sovereignty, His ability to create, His ability to speak into existence, and His ability to give the breath of life. You see, at the time that Moses was writing this account of Genesis, we have to remember that the children of Israel had been in captivity in Egypt for how many years? 400 years. And as the Bible tells us, during that time, they had adopted 
many of the deities that the Egyptians had worshipped. 400 years is equivalent to 40 generations, excuse me, 10 generations. And through that time, the, the children of Israel had been in captivity in Egypt, had adopted many of the deities that they worshipped and took them on. And now God had delivered them out of Egypt through miraculous works. And God had to establish that among the deities that Egypt worshipped, which were over 10,000, there is a God and there's one God and he is supreme God only. Some of the examples that some of the gods they worshipped in in Egypt was one by the name of Anubis. He was the god of funeral and embalmings, represented by a jackal. There was Bass, the cat. You, you've probably seen that one. He's, he's the god of sex and fertility. There's the god, the deity Geb, who is the god of the earth, and it was believed that earthquakes were his laughter. There was the deity Ra, he was the sun god, and he was proclaimed to be the ruler of heavens. And there was the deity Sebek, who was a crocodile, and it was said that he was the creator of the Nile River. And what Moses is establishing in the order and display of God's creation, that all of these deities that you worship, that you, that you are a part of, that you see, you do not have to be worshiping them, you do not have to try to appease them, but there is one God, and he is God. God Almighty, and he declares in Genesis chapter 1-1, in the beginning, God. How many of you have children? We talk about this in Genesis chapter 1. I don't know about you, but it was a subject that we talked about with our kids, and we're telling them that God created everything, and God created you. And what was their question after they heard that a few times? How? Who made God? Well, if God created everything, and the logic in the mind says that if God created everything, then who created God? Who made God? You want to hear, hear, a, hear a, just a stern theological answer to that question, who made God? No one. Because God has always been. He is the eternal God. He has no beginning and he has no end. He's not dependent on anything that has been created so that he might sustain himself. He's eternal. He has neither a beginning nor the end. He's totally self-sufficient, and he needs nothing to exist outside of himself. I love what A.W. Tozer wrote when he said this. He says, God has a voluntary relation to everything that he has made, but he has no necessary relationship to anything outside of himself. You know what that's simply stating? That God doesn't need creation and God doesn't need us. But in God's eternal purposes in the mind of God, long before the foundations of the earth were created, he knew what he was going to do and he had a purpose Psalm 92, 90 verse 2 says this, but the mountains were born and they were brought for and you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting you are god 
God exists completely in and of himself and outside of anything that has been created, and he does not need it in order to sustain himself. A.W. Tozer went on to write this. He says that, that God is timeless, spaceless, single, alone, yet sublimely three. Thou art gladly, greatly, always only one God in unity. God always has been, and God always will be. And can I give you an application to that? Because God has always been and God has purposed in his mind, his purpose and his reason for creation, and he will always be, he will never cease. You and I are absolutely secure in this almighty, all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing, sovereign creator of the universe that holds everything together. Can you say amen to that? You see, when I reflect on the eternality of God, the the self-existence of God, That stirs my heart to want to sing as we sang this morning, Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. God, I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder throughout all creation. Then sings my soul, my Savior, God, to thee, how great thou art. Amen and amen. That's cause to worship him in corporate worship and expression. That's cause to worship him Monday through Saturday in all my life. As Paul said, whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, do to the glory of God. That's cause for you to worship him in that job you hate. (laughs) Now I'm about to meddle. That's cause for you to worship him in that marriage that stinks right now. (laughs) Guys, you were awfully quiet on that one. That's cause for you and I to worship him when our world right now seems to be turned upside down and nothing is going the way that we want it to go. There are restrictions that have been placed there. There's turmoil. There's chaos. Church ain't the way I want it to be. We're like the children of Israel sometimes. And we miss the splendor and the glory and the majesty of God because we're so driven by a a narcissistic, I want what pleases me. And God says, no, I'm worthy to be praised and declared regardless of whether or not the world is upside down. You see, when we see this, it can't, I can't help but pause and think that, that when I recognize the splendor of God and, and all of his creation and the, the purpose in it, that, that we are not some product of, of time, long periods of time, and random chance of mutations that takes place over billions of years. There is a God who has created us, and he's created us for his purposes. I was doing some research this week to, to determine how, how long this, the opposing theory, if you will, to creationism, that, that in the beginning was God and that God created, is that theory that we know of of, of evolution. 
And, and I, I, in my research, I realized, as best as I can tell, that that theory that, that Darwin wrote, The Origin of the Species, which, by the way, can I put this in parentheses? This is free. Don't send me an email on this, but it's true. I can't help but think that where we are in our culture today, that for over a century we have adopted, maybe not us, but the world has adopted this theory of evolution that there is no God, that it came by random chance and over long periods of time. And Darwin himself, who was an absolute racist, believed in the superior race. No wonder we're facing the things that we're facing in our nation today because we've sent our kids to that every single day of the week and it's bombarded in them and there's no respect and there's no regard for human life. Why? Because it came out as some amoeba mob out of the ocean rather than being created by Almighty God who has a purpose and a plan and he breathed the breath of life in every human being that was created in his image. Amen? Now that was free. Five things that I, that I want us to look at real briefly in the closing minutes this morning of, of what come out of Genesis chapter 1 that we see about this God who was in the beginning. Number one is this, that, that we see that God is a God of order, purpose, and structure. You can't help but read the Genesis account and realize that, that God had an order to his creation, that he purposed it and he beautifully, miraculously created it, not only in order, but for a purpose and structure. And that God, being the creator of that, we know that because He is the creator of that, He is set above His His creation, and He is set before His creation. But thanks be to God that He is actively involved in His creation, and that includes us as well. Notice some of the pronouns or the, 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 the adjectives that, that are used after the nouns and after God is mentioned. Here are just a few of them. God called. God said. God saw. God blessed. And we see a God that is personally involved in his handiwork of creation. And it tells you and I that if he was personally involved in his creation, then he is still personally involved in your life and in my life today. God still speaks today primarily through his word and by the spirit in our hearts. Now think about this, God said, you've heard the commercial, when E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody, let me do it again. When E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens. When God speaks, stuff happens. (laughs) He created, He spoke the world and all of creation into existence. And, And we see the Godhead involved here. God the Father, God Elohim, and the Spirit in verse 2 hovering over all of the waters. But it's not until the New Testament that we realize that, that this God who created also included the Son, the third person of the Trinity. And it says here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, He is the image, speaking of Jesus, of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have preeminence. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Amen. And sweet Jesus, the Father and the Holy Spirit. Secondly is this, that God powerfully created and he controls all of creation. This word that's used, that created, it's, it's the Hebrew word para. David, did I pronounce that right? Close enough. Thank you, brother. This, this, this noun is only used in reference to God. Because it has the understanding that, that only God can create out of nothing. You see, when I think of all of the other arguments of, of God creating and, and creating in six days and 24-hour periods, I, and I read all those and I understand all those and I see all those, I don't want to get mired down in them, but I think in my mind always comes back to, but where did the matter come from? You see, anything other than a creation teaching that somehow they can't explain where the matter came from. That's, that's made up of atoms, and now we've learned and understand today that, that these atoms that we used to think were just atoms, now they're made up of subatomic atoms. Where did it come from? The answer is, in the beginning, God created, God spoke, and God made Here's a math equation for you. Let me see if you get it. Nothing plus nothing equals... <laughs> God created out of nothing. He created out of nothing. When we sing the song, Majesty... Worship His majesty. We ought to have in our minds the majestic splendor and the glory of God, and there should be none of this majesty. But our praise goes to Him, majesty. He is God Almighty. He's the producer and the sustainer of all life. We're going to look more at the creation of man next week. But we notice that, that he breathed the breath of life into man. No life exists apart from God, outside of God. He's the author and he is the sustainer of life. Listen to what Isaiah says, or excuse me, listen to what Job says in, in chapter 34, verses 14 and 15. If he, meaning God should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath. All flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. God is the sustainer and the creator of all life. Fourth thing is that God is purposeful. We're reminded when we see the order in Genesis chapter 1 that that God didn't arbitrarily, whimsically, with a whimsical notion, just create. But the Bible tells us before even the, 
The foundations of the earth were laid. God knew his purpose and God knew that he would create and that all that would be created, he would have a purpose for it. And in all of the creation, he established so that it would sustain that only one thing that was created in his image and he would create it for us. Why? Because he wanted to display his love so that we might glorify him and worship him as creator. Lastly, God is the sovereign ruler over all of creation. I want to read to you what John, oh, excuse me, what Paul preached there in Acts chapter 17 as he was before those great philosophers of his day. Paul writes this beginning in verse 22, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I am uh, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, that the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. I put in parentheses there, God does not need JMO. You put your name there. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all of the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said. Genesis chapter 1, it's all about God. Everything that you and I do, our, our existence, the, the vocation that we, use, that we have put our hands to, the, the education that we pursue, the, the pleasures that God has given to us in life that we pursue, the worship as we come together as the ecclesia, the, the gathered saints of God to worship Him. the wife that you're married to, the husband that you're married to, the children that you have. Everything is about God. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.